Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman, the podcast dedicated to helping you build the business of your dreams and live the life you always hoped for, with valuable and fun tips and info to make your life easier and more fun. And now, here's your host, a man who sprinkles metal shavings on his breakfast cereal just for fun, Jason Silverman. And welcome to The Real Deal, Jason Silverman. I'm your host today, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time with you. As you know, I'm always on the hunt for interesting as well as super smart Real Deal guests. And i got to tell you, I've been looking forward to today's show for a good couple of weeks. I want to introduce my listeners to somebody who's truly been there and done that. And I'm excited to pick his brain for your benefit today. And quite honestly, for my benefit as well. Now, for the folks who I work with in any of my coaching programs or through Powerful Words Character Development, All-Star Cheer Sites, or the Jason's Army Mastermind Group, you know how much I focus on the importance of simplicity in running our businesses, right? Well, this show is going to help us to do just that. So today, it's going to be my honor and privilege to share an amazing resource with you. You're going to love today's guest. He's got a ton of valuable information about one of those concepts I consider really to be missing in most of the educational systems today. So strap yourself in. Today's show is going to be a blast. As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners just like you to become more successful, enjoy your career more, and in general, make your life significantly more fun. We only get one ride on this merry-go-round, folks. Let's make sure it's one hell of a ride, shall we? Alrighty, boys and girls, it is now that time. I want you to stop surfing Facebook, put away your phone, your tablet, your dog, your cat, your spouse, your child, anything that might possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information, and I don't want you to miss even a second of it. So, before we officially get going, let me give you a little bit of background about our special guest expert today. Ken Siegel worked closely with Steve Jobs as his ad agency creative director for over 12 years, spanning Next and Apple. He led the creative team behind Apple's iconic Think Different campaign and set Apple down the iWay by naming the iMac. Ken is the New York Times best-selling author of Insanely Simple and Think Simple, which explore the power of simplicity as practiced by Steve Jobs and other brilliant leaders. He currently consults with major brands in strategy, creative, and product naming. He blogs about technology and marketing at KenSiegel.com. That's K-E-N-S-E-G-A-L-L.com. And he has fun with it all at Scupertino.com, which is S-C-O-O-P-E-R-T-I-N-O.com. Ken, welcome to The Real Deal. I'm thrilled to have you today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Pleasure is mine. So, listen, before we get started, for those who haven't had the opportunity and pleasure of meeting you or hearing you speak or reading either of these books yet, um, take a second, if you would, and share your story with our listeners. You know, What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Who is Ken Siegel? Hmm. That's a rather deep and probing question to begin with here, but <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, actually, I'm an advertising guy. I'm been that for you know many decades now unfortunately sorry to admit <laughs> but I've always told people that I'm really like an advertising guy who doesn't like advertising I mean I get kind of annoyed by it uh, as many do so I'm what I like to think of as uh, sort of a culturally sensitive advertising guy and I, I I'm concerned about our environment and I don't like to clutter our environment with a bunch of noise like many advertisers do so I was raised by people who had these sort of 
moral standards in advertising and wanted to be like very, very creative at the same time. So Steve Jobs has given advice, you know, which many have about following your passion. My passion uh, was always technology. Even when I was in high school, uh, I was the guy who had the, you know, the cool equipment in his house and I would edit tapes and do all these things that were kind of creative with the limited technology we had back then. Uh, but I was able to sort of find a career where I could write about things that interested me and technology interested me. So uh, I think I would have been a terrible failure if I was forced to write like uh, ads for insurance companies and breakfast cereal and stuff like that. I, I had this interest in technology, so that's what I did. I went down that road and people told me you're gonna get typecast, you know, maybe it's a bad idea and I did it anyway because that's what I like to talk about. So. That interest in technology and being in advertising as a writer led me from one technology account to another until I got hooked up with Steve Jobs. Um, and I had not, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I hadn't taken certain jobs before that. So it all led very logically. Uh, so I got involved with Steve Jobs when he was running Next, which was, as many know, the company he started when he was forced out of Apple. Um, so I was helping him with that. And then when he moved back to Apple, I went along for the ride and uh, switched over the, to that ad agency so I could keep working with him. Uh, so that turned out to be the experience of my advertising life. You know, uh, We did all kinds of exciting things, a lot of high pressure, uh, but we did a lot of great work. I was part of a really good team. And Steve was really the best client an advertising guy could ever want because he demanded creativity, uh, excellence, quality, all those things that you wish your clients would, would demand of you. But unfortunately, not all that many do. So I think that's about it. Uh, we can fill in some details as we go along, but uh, that's what got me into working with Steve and doing all the things that we did together. I'm excited to dig in because that's... Uh... I can only imagine the uh, the experiential knowledge that you gained from all of that. So you've now at this point written two books about simplicity. Um, why do you call it the most powerful force in business? I think that Steve Jobs was uh, a very, very vivid example of what can happen when you have a reverence for the, the power of simplicity. <clears throat> Um, he, it struck me, uh, you know, the more I worked with him, the more I realized that this uh, was the case with Steve, and I saw the results that it, that it achieved. And I think a lot of people look at Apple products and think like, well, yes, they are simple and uh, easy to understand, easy to, to work, and that's certainly the big reason why Apple became such a success. But I think what people failed to realize was just how widespread and, and deep uh, the love of simplicity is within Apple and how, and how uh, that affected Apple on so many different levels. Uh, so that's what I talk about. It's not just about the product that pops out of a company at the end. It's this deep-seated belief that runs throughout the company that, that sort of unifies the company in its, in its efforts. And it, it makes the, process, the internal processes simpler and the way they communicate with the public simpler and the way they design their packaging simpler. All those things add up to some very, very big thing that literally propelled Apple from near death back in the late 90s. They were 
you know, seemingly going out of business to become the world's most uh, the world's most profitable company in in just 14 years' time to become uh, the most valuable company on earth. In 14 years, that's just like miraculous. It's certainly never happened before, and it never happen again. I can't imagine it. Um, at least not in our lifetimes. So I think the power of simplicity is something not to be trifled with. <laughs> it is to be appreciated and leveraged. And you don't have to be Apple to succeed with the power of simplicity. And that's what I went at, after I did my book about Apple and Steve Jobs. I went around the world talking to business leaders in many different kinds of companies about how they have leveraged the power of simplicity. And, and again, it's not just in products. It's uh, oftentimes in the way a company is organized and the way it communicates and the way it designs things, its website, and so on. Uh, there are just a lot of different aspects to simplicity, but I think when one really believes in it uh, and nurtures it within his or her own company, uh, it really is the most powerful force in business. I love it. I love it. I know that one of the, one of the things I've been speaking about at least in the cheer industry for the last couple of years, is the importance of simplicity and pricing. And I've always said that confused people don't buy. And so many folks have made things so convoluted and challenging to understand that when folks started making it easier, um, it, did a, it did a number of things. Number one, all of a sudden their staff wasn't afraid to sell. Number two, the client wasn't afraid to buy. So... Even just that one end, and obviously there there's so many other levels you could take simplicity to, uh, but this this truly did make a big change. So I, I get it. I have a bunch of examples of things like that in in the second book when I talked to all these different leaders around the world. One story stuck out in my head, and it's directly related to what you just said. It's a, so if you'll indulge me, please. Uh, it's, a, it's a short one. Uh, but the gentleman's name is Brian Hartzer. He is the CEO of Westpac Bank in Australia, which is the second biggest bank in the country. So they've got offices all over the country, tens of thousands of people working. And when he arrived in his position there, he looked at the credit card offerings. Um, and there were like, I'm, I'm making up a number here, but it was in the high 20s, call it like 28 different <laughs> kinds of credit cards. And he thought that was really silly because there are only so many kinds of customers in the world and there are only so many kinds of credit cards, you know, frequent flyer coins and cash back and stuff like that. So he just made a simple grid, you know, the types of customers on the top, old, young, business, whatever, uh, and on the side, the different kinds of cards. And he said to his people, you can put one credit card in each of those boxes. And that ended up basically cutting their product offerings by about half and sales went up. And he said it's because not only did the customers suddenly understand what they had to choose from, but his own people could explain to people when they asked, what's the difference between these four cards? Uh, suddenly, every single card had uh, you know, a target audience and a specific benefit, and people could just choose the one they want. And because they didn't have to say, well, let me go home and think about it, <laughs> they were literally saying on the spot, that's the card for me, and they were buying it. So... I think that's a great example of the power of simplicity. You don't have to give people, you know, all these choices that just confuse them. You want to give them good choices. Certainly people want choice, but there are so many companies that just flood the market with products, hoping that people will be able to figure it out. Uh, and 
obviously Apple is an example of a company that does not do that. They make very few products compared to most companies. But they they try to make really, really good ones and give people distinct choices. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Now, you spent 12 years creating ads for Steve Jobs. Um, how would you say your experience syncs up with the popular image of Steve? Is it accurate? Is it jaded? Well, yeah, actually, the popular image is not all that accurate. Like, as you would expect, when someone does a few spectacular things, that tends to become the story. And for Steve Jobs, his spectacular things were the products, but also his temper <laughs> and his way of, of treating people, which, you know, was quite known to be somewhat brutal. So I always tell people that, yeah, that was certainly part of his personality. I would never deny that. And I was on the receiving end of it a couple of times. It wasn't pleasant. Uh, and I certainly saw it happen to other people uh, more, thankfully, more of them than me. <laughs> so I didn't get too badly bruised. Uh, but I did see him, you know, on a weekly basis and uh, he was charismatic, he was visionary, he had a great sense of humor. We would just talk about stuff before and after meetings, just like regular people do, and he was just a fascinating guy. He was very, very smart, of course, as you would expect, uh, but he had interesting opinions about people and you know, issues that are in the news and stuff like that. So it was just a really interesting experience and not the one-sided, brutal guy who's terrible to be around, you know. Uh, so I think the movies and, and books that have generally been written and created about Steve tend to focus on that popular image because that seems to be a better character in a movie, a guy who treats people badly and just so intense it's almost difficult to talk to him. But Steve wanted to surround himself with creative people and he wanted uh, them to do their thing. He didn't, he wasn't a micromanager. He didn't tell people what to do, but he urged them to do great things and he'd make people do things over and over again because he didn't think they were great enough and stuff like that. That was certainly my experience in advertising. Um, so I think he was a, you know, a complex person as pretty much every human being is. Uh, and he doesn't get enough credit for the, uh, the charismatic part and the, his interest in really helping people live and work better. And uh, like I said, his sense of humor, he was really fun to work with for me. I, I, I enjoyed my conversations with him uh, when he wasn't, you know, in one of his bad moods. <laughs> so uh, I guess as I like to explain it to people, uh, it was somewhat like, like if you have a really stern father, you know, um, you love your father and you want him to be happy. And when your father is happy, you know, all is well. You had a good life. But in the back of your of your mind, there was always that, that thought like, I don't want to make dad mad at me because I know that's really painful. <laughs> so, you know, it, working with him was sort of a combination of, of those things. Excited to be there and wanting to impress him with your creativity because you wanted him to, to think you were really brilliant. Uh, but at the same time, you knew that if you didn't have all your, you know, your thinking wrapped up very neatly and, and could defend your position, um, you know, there was that fear that, if, you know, he might, you know, get irritated, you know, get disappointed in you, that kind of a thing. And, and there were plenty of times when he didn't like what we presented to him. 
uh, and we would have passionate debates, just as he would have it with his with his uh, engineers and designers. I mean, he he enjoyed that. He he wanted people to be honest and to have a passion for what they believed, and and he you know those conversations could get loud. <laughs> uh, you know, when you're experiencing it, it it didn't seem terribly stressful to me, to be honest. It, it was just interesting. And there were times when, like, oh, boy, now we've already had to go back to the drawing board once or twice here, and we really have to hit a home run in this next meeting. You know, so it was, there was that kind of feeling. But, uh, you know, it was only after I stopped working with him, to be honest, that I realized how much pressure I was under <laughs> because there was this great feeling of lightness you know, after, <laughs> after all those years I, I thought oh I guess I was under pressure I never really felt it before it was just sort of this ongoing thing where you just had to do one great thing after the next to you know to rise to Steve Jobs standards and I think at the end of the day that's the kind of boss or client that everybody would want to have somebody who will never settle for for something less than you know what you know what you could achieve and there were plenty of times also when well not plenty but I remember a couple <laughs> where you would he would reject some idea that you really loved and you'd have that big argument about it and then finally have to do something else and what you end up with is actually better than that first idea and you'd have to go home and think wow he was really right all along <laughs> I like this new thing much better than that first thing so you know you had to give him credit for having an eye and ear and and you know he was the man who created Apple and he he you know had that vision of what he wanted the company to be and your work had to rise to you know the standard of that vision it's a challenging thing but a very very rewarding thing oh I bet I bet I want to switch gears for for a sec. You know the the Think Different campaign um, that marked the beginning of Apple's resurrection back in '97. What uh, what was the thinking behind that? Well, that was an interesting time because uh, Steve Jobs would explain in later years that at that moment in history, Apple was 90 days away from bankruptcy. I mean, things were that bad. You know, the the death watch was on for Apple because they had gone through like 11 years of mediocrity and plummeting sales. They, they were losing money for some number of quarters in a row. I think it was quite a few, it was maybe like a couple of years they'd been losing money. So they were bleak times and Steve came back as basically the only man who could save Apple because he uh, was Apple. You know, he was the guy who started the company and he had the credibility uh, with the employees to inspire them and you know so that was the situation and then he as far as ad agencies go you know Steve got the band together again basically he got rid of the agency that John Scully had brought in he went back to the agency he used to have um, I went over to that agency and you know things started happening again Steve was was happy that about the team he had put together uh, upon his return but the problem was that Apple was you know had this terrible uh, performance issue where they were losing money and had no great products so the first thing he did was get the engineers going Johnny Ive and his team uh, to create the iMac but that wasn't going to happen for many many months because they were just starting work on it uh, the issue was what will we do now we have like uh, 
you know, at least a half a year. And the attention of the world was on Apple because Steve had just returned and that was a big deal. But we had nothing to talk about, really. We had no new computers to show. So we, Steve thought, uh, and well, I guess we worked it out together. I'm not sure exactly who had the original kernel of the idea, but it would be a good thing. Uh, we all agreed to have a brand campaign that would tell the world that the spirit of creativity is alive and well at Apple, and we're going to sort of create this foundation for all the work that's going to come in the coming years. And that's what Think Different was all about. And the, the idea of it was, I mean, for people who don't even remember it, uh, we would basically just show a full page, if it was in a magazine, a full page portrait of some person who had changed the world in a very positive way. And we had a wide variety of people in the arts and science and design and all kinds of things, music. Um, and on that page, it would say nothing more than think different and have an Apple logo. And that was, you know, to celebrate the lives of people who changed the world in, in really fantastic ways. And the principle was that if you tell somebody who it is that you admire, that says a lot about you as a human being. So we thought that if we tell the world who Apple admires, that would just say a lot about what kind of company we are. So we celebrated for a good six months there, just the lives of all these people. And they were like, again, such a wide variety of people. We had, you know, John Lennon and Alfred Hitchcock and uh, uh, Albert Einstein and, and Thomas Edison. I mean, people who really contributed to the world in, in wildly different ways. But that was like our way of saying, this is who Apple is. And we make tools for people who want to put their mark on the world and, and help move things forward in a creative way. And that <clears throat> struck a, <clears throat> excuse me, that struck a chord with an awful lot of people that um, Apple stood for creativity and innovation and, and humanity, basically. And, you know, a lot of technology companies uh, are kind of stuck in technical specs and things like that. And Apple was, was very, very human. So the idea was to tell Apple's customers that Apple was alive and well, but it was also to tell Apple's employees that this is what, what we're all about uh, and to fire them up. The day that campaign broke, Steve put out a, a, a company-wide email uh, telling everybody about the campaign and telling them that thinking different is what made Apple a success in the early days and it will continue to do that in the future. And he wanted everybody in the company to look at their jobs, no matter what they do, whether they're the receptionist or a software designer, uh, look at your job and think about how you could think different about it. Is there a better way to do what we do? And we want to hear from everyone. And everyone got Think Different t-shirts. And it really just fired up the company you know, in such a great way. Um, and then for the public, we, Apple, you know, very believably stood for a company that thinks different so that when the new products came and when the iMac came, I think it was about eight months later, um, it looked like nothing you had seen before in the world of computers. It was translucent blue instead of beige and boring. Um, and it, it made everything so much simpler as far as like getting on the internet, which was a, a tough thing in those days. Um, so. It looked so different visually that all we really had to do was put a picture of the computer on a page and say, think different under it. And it made perfect sense. And it, it, it just totally 
you know, captured what the company was all about. And all the products after that did the same thing. They just looked different and they did really cool things. Um, so for the first four years, basically, everything Apple did was about thinking different. Uh, and every single bit of communication that we created had to logically end in the words think different. So every headline, every ad, that was our standard. So we have to reinforce this one simple thought, you know, that that's what Apple is all about. Our pro every product we come out with will be the, the proof that Apple thinks different. So it was a, an incredible simplifier uh, for all of our marketing because that was our the beacon, you know, the guiding light, those two simple words. Uh, and Steve, by the way, just really loved, you know, the whole idea of that campaign. We did a launch commercial that you may be familiar with called the crazy ones you can see it on yep. youtube um steve just thought this was just the ultimate you know the essence of apple had been captured in this commercial and he just loved that spot ran it for many many years later at his product introductions like he would start the show by showing that commercial because it so perfectly captured the spirit of apple i love it uh, you know and one of the things that just keeps um, bouncing around in my mind is is how brilliant it is and was to you know start with you know the core of the firm and the belief system of the firm and then roll that out so that the marketing was completely congruent with you know the principles and belief systems so that when people actually wonder you know who is or what is Apple like there was no question Apple. yeah and you that's a very good point because one of the things I talk about when I, you know, when I travel from place to place is this idea of authenticity. And it's not anything new in the advertising world. You know, authenticity was always valued. But Apple is a very good example, the Think Different campaign in particular, of a company that didn't try to create some new kind of personality for itself and say it's, it's all new thinking, all new people and all that kind of stuff. Apple just said, Rather than do that, let us let us just do a really good job of explaining to people exactly who we really truly are, you know. And the beauty of Think Different, I thought, was that even though we were we were doing it in 1997, you could have put those words up in the garage when Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created their very first computer back in the like the late 70s. It would have made perfect sense. That's what the company was always about. And you could still use those words today um, if you cared to. I mean, Apple, I mean, they really, really do capture this authentic thing about Apple is, is that, you know, they, they go places other people don't go and try to achieve much better results by doing so. Um, so it's authenticity uh, at work, basically. Uh, it's much easier to tell people who you really are than try to invent some new kind of personality for yourself and then try to get them to change their opinion of you. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Now, you've got a really interesting point of view about the power of choice, <laughs> or I guess I should say the, uh, the power of less choices. Um, would you mind, you know, talk about that a little bit, because I feel like this is a concept missing in the after-school activity world. We've made things so hard, so convoluted. Um, what's the benefit of less choice? Well, you know, that example I gave earlier about uh, Westpac Bank in Australia is, is a great one. But uh, the principle that makes it work, I think, is that 
Each and every one of us has burnt into our DNA a desire for a simpler way. Uh, and, that, and choice becomes a part of that. So I think if you offer people uh, two different routes to a similar conclusion, say you're in the business of selling laptop computers and you say here are three, there's good, better, best, and here's what makes each of these things different. So which kind of person are you? Then click the buy button and you're done. Or it, so the end result there is you get a computer that you want. So, but a lot of companies, uh, Dell and HP in particular, I do uh, regular research on their website to count up how many laptop computers they offer. It's like crazy. It's over 40 for HP and over 20 for Dell. But, but so the point is that if you're trying to buy a computer from one of those guys, you got a, a lot of studying to do, or you got to read, you know, buying guides and what really is the difference? It's almost like those credit cards. That there, there are differences, but they're sort of subtle, and you got to really think a lot. And a lot of people faced with that kind of choice get sort of frozen into inaction. And I think, you know, the the experience of shopping with a, someone like Apple is that, like, you go away thinking, wow, that was easy. Uh, and you're happy with the product you bought. With the other guys, you might even end up with a bit of buyer's remorse when you see an ad for a different computer they make. And you go like, oh, that sounds even better than the one that I just bought, you know? <laughs> so I, I think it makes customers, uh, you know, a lot happier. It, it's like Apple doesn't offer them less choice. They offer them less confusion, basically. That's a, and, great, that's a great way to put it. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. Yeah, and I think... You know, when someone satisfies that thing that's inside all of us, the desire for simplicity, you tend to relate to the, the you know, the company that gives you that tends to earn your, your love, we'll call it. In the case of Apple, it is love. People go overboard because Apple makes shiny products that people can hold in their hand and, and fall in love with. Um, other companies can't quite do that, so love for them might be a bit different. But when you... Um, if you're an insurance company and you have a website that makes it totally simple to buy your insurance, people aren't going to have that same kind of love like they do with a with an Apple, but they they will have that feeling like, wow, these guys really understood what I'm all about. They made it easy for me. And if someone, if I'm talking to someone then who's saying I kind of need to get some insurance, um, I might say something like, oh, well, I just did this thing with these guys a few months ago and they made it really easy. You know, so you actually. You know, you recommend the experience to other people when you've had a good experience. And I think that's been key to Apple's growth because its customers are so happy and so so satisfied that Apple is fulfilling this desire for a simpler way um, that they do sell to their friends and their family and their colleagues. Uh, it just sort of builds on itself. And I think the uh, the choice thing is a, is a big part of that. Uh, one of the things... I found this quote from Devo. You know, I was not a big Devo fan, but, uh, but it's in one of their songs, apparently, where they say, freedom of choice is what you got. Freedom from choice is what you want. <laughs> and I think that might be a little too simplistic, but it's true. I think putting these choices on people, you know, constantly just saying, well, you pick, you know, we, we make 30 things. Pick one. Right. It's very different from a company that says, you know, we really know you pretty well. We know people like you, and, and we have found that these three things, you know, give you all the choice you need. 
uh, and you can pick whether you want the, the high-end pro specs or the, the, the super lightweight thing. You know, they have different reasons to be purchased, and it's not hard to identify which one it is that you want, uh, and then you buy. I think there's less hes hesitation to hit the buy button. Well, as somebody who, um, who is a, an Apple convert, um, I, was, I was always a PC guy who runs some tech companies, and then um, I got sick and tired of buying a new laptop every year. I got sick and tired of horrific uh, malware and viruses and all sorts of other weird, crazy stuff that just kept happening over and over and over again. And I remember my, um, my tech consultant at the time was like, why don't you just buy an Apple and make your life easier? Well, you know, I, I need all the choices and I need this. He's like, you really don't. Um, so why don't you take a look? And I remember walking into the Apple store going, this is it? Really? And the guy was like, do you want this one or this one? I'm like, well, normally when I go to look at a computer, I've got 47 different choices and then I have to research and then I've got to do this and I've got to He's like, yeah, that's not this. Do you want this one or that one? And I bought that one, and that must be now, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Excellent. And, you know, I've never looked back, and it, it, it's funny. Mm -hmm. the, the experience of having less choice um, has truly made life dramatically easier. So, so I mm -hmm. get it. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I try to impart upon my clients of just make it easy for people to give you money. This isn't challenging. Yeah, exactly. You know, my experience is actually somewhat similar to yours. I was always an Apple guy, but I had this thing about choice and I had to have Microsoft Word and I had to seek out the best software for everything I was doing and I'd use a different thing for my music than Apple had. And it's maybe it's part of you know getting older and you know the things you want to concentrate you know on doing with your time. And I ended up like, okay, Word is too complicated, and you know I use Apple's uh, word processor, Pages, and Keynote for presentations and stuff. And you know it is you know the, technically those things do less. You can you know there there isn't all that deep 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 complexity. You know, if you have some super serious need, but I realized that what I did was actually pretty darn simple, and I didn't need to be doing those things. And so I kind of made a similar decision where I just said, you know what, I just want to make life easy for myself, and um, and I did that. And I sort of, I guess, well, I mean, I, you know, for design purposes, I use you know Adobe products, but mm -hmm. most of everything I'm in the Apple world, and everything syncs, and I don't have to worry about it. Phone, iPad, computer. Um, and I know you can do those things with other products too, but you know you you keep rewarding the people who have made your life easier and continue to make your life easier. So that's it's all about loyalty, and that that is something that Apple has been very good at. Also, by by giving people those things product after product, they they build that resistance to go somewhere else. So you know. The conversation about who really makes the best product, you know, it's not unimportant, uh, but there's so many other factors involved. And uh, like with music, for example, 
I was an audiophile. I, I was a musician before I got into advertising. Well, I was a drummer. Some people would argue that's not really a musician, but <laughs> my bandmates used to rib me on that one. But um, then I, you know, I realized that, yeah, I know when I put the music on my iPod, it's not quite the same. You know, the quality is less. But honestly, to my ear, it wasn't. I, I couldn't really even notice it. And just having the the ability to have all my music with me and and listen. Uh, you know, find music easy, more easily, all that stuff that that gave to me. I realized technically that I'm getting a lesser quality of music, but the convenience is so much more that it was just worth it to me. And I kind of, you know, maybe I had a, uh, you know, a fancy camera before, and, you know, the, the pictures you can take with your smartphone these days are very, very good, but they're not the quality of a real camera. But it's so much easier because your phone is always in your pocket and that camera is a pain in the butt to drag around everywhere. So I, I think certain trade-offs are, are absolutely worth it because I think a simpler life is a very, very important thing. Uh, and it's a very appealing thing to people because, again, we all have that gene within us that says, do it the easy way and then you'll have more time to do the other things in your life that are more challenging. Totally makes sense, and I agree. Here's a question I've been dying to ask you because nobody else um, has really ever given me the answer to this. Uh, I know you're responsible for putting that little I in front of all of Apple's product names. So what does it mean? Uh, Good story. (laughs) People pay good money to hear this story. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I've I've told it a thousand times now probably, so it's – but it's fun because it's one of those things, you know, Steve Jobs always pushed – for better and better, um, and he resisted the I. He thought it was, uh, you know, not worthy. Basically, for two presentations. But the backstory is that when that computer came out, I mentioned earlier that the internet was not nearly as easy as it as it is today, back in 1998. So the idea of the, the concept of the iMac, every every computer that's made kind of needs to have a, a, an overarching concept. And for iMac, uh, it was easy way to get on the Internet. You didn't have to buy a separate modem. You didn't have to configure anything. You'd plug in the power and you'd plug the phone line in, which sounds archaic, but that's the way it was back then. But the modem was built into the computer. And basically, you'd turn on that computer the very first time and it would come up and say, want to get on the Internet? So say, sure. Give it your credit card, create a screen name for your email, that is, your email address, and um, you're in business. And people found that very, very refreshing. Uh, so that was, you know, the first bit of simplicity that Apple offered upon Steve's return. But we needed a name for it. Steve had a name uh, that one of his guys had given him, and he was all hot on the name, which shockingly was MacMan. That was the name that he was settled on, but he said he wanted us to try to do better. Uh, and that was a common thing in, you know, with, with Steve, that he would say, this is you know, a direction we're going, so if you can do better, now's the time to speak up, or it's going to forever be Mac-Man, basically, in this case. <laughs> so we thought that was a terrible name, and people who are in the room, when I meet them today, uh, that's one of the first things. It, it inevitably comes up in the conversation. Oh my God! Remember MacMan? You know, <laughs> but Steve, Steve had it in his head. He thought there was something kind of Sony-like about it because of Walkman, 
and uh, he thought that was a good thing. Back in those days, Apple did not make any handheld products. He thought it was a way to give this desktop computer some personality. So that's what we were working with. And he said, come back in a week uh, and show me some names. So uh, iMac was actually the first name I came up with. I mean, it was not literally the first. It was probably in the, in the first five because it was like, well, it's an easy way to get on the Internet. I for Internet, Mac for Macintosh. So it really wasn't any more complicated than that. It was uh, actually, I thought, more logical than it was creative, although... You know, in later years, I've come to appreciate, you know, all the things that that allowed Apple to do. Uh, but anyway, Steve didn't like it. Showed him five names, including iMac. Hated them all. Came back a week later. He still didn't like it. Uh, showed him new names then, and then brought back the old one because he still believed in that one. And then it was just a couple of days later that uh, talking to somebody inside Apple, they told me that Steve had the name put on a model and he was showing it around and. Wow, I didn't know he uh, liked it that much, you know, but he was getting reactions, and apparently he got a lot of good reactions. So it became iMac, and it's funny because we said at the time, uh, well, the way I presented it to him was that I obviously meant Internet, but it could also mean individual, I meaning me, imagination, inspiration. There were a lot of interesting I words, and indeed when Steve unveiled the iMac at the big event, um, he did put a screen up and had all those I words on there. But very quickly, it just became a letter that basically identified a product as a, as a consumer product from Apple. So you'd have Macs that were the computers, and you'd have I things that were the consumer products. That didn't happen overnight, but in our original presentation, when we were arguing about all those things, um, we did point out that I could be a foundational name because we could have other I things. But again, like I say, at that time, all we had was computers, so that, that wasn't a big part of the argument. It was just like one of those little bits you know, that we might consider in the future. But then very quickly, after the success of iMac, um, we had, uh, well, we knew that the iBook was going to come. We had that figured out already, that when the, when the portable was ready, we would call it an iBook. And then all the software started to come. So we have a thing that does photography. Let's call it iPhoto. You know, so it all fell into line very, very quickly. And suddenly, before you know it, you know, Apple had like you know 20 different i things out there. And then, of course, the whole world started creating i things, which is probably the reason why Apple's in the process of moving away from that now. With Apple Watch, Apple Music, Apple Pay, those were all consumer things uh, that in the old days would have been i things. But I think there's a uh, you know, one too many lawsuits these days involving the I, so it's probably uh, better for Apple to just say we have an Apple Watch and we have Apple Music. And who knows, in, in the very near future, we may well have an Apple phone instead of an iPhone. Wow. We'll see. That's actually very cool. So what advice would you give to folks who want to leverage the power of simplicity um, but are really just looking for a place to start? Because i got to believe there are folks on this podcast going, yeah, this is all well and good for Apple, but I don't have their budget or experience or staff. How can I start? Well, funny you should ask that question because that's the question I posed to a lot of these people I interviewed in the new book, and I got a number of interesting opinions. Well, actually, but one of the interesting things I found is that they all had a similar opinion, or many of them did. And that was, uh, again, not 
shockingly new advice, but I know that it was important to Steve Jobs and these other people felt that it was important to them as well. And that is just the ability to sort of step outside the company and see it as a consumer sees it. Um, and although you would think everybody in the world would be good at that, every business person, it really is remarkable, you know, having worked with as many companies as I have in my advertising life, it's interesting how many companies don't do that very well, that they have all their reasons that they have to compromise on this experience and that experience because it's going to cost too much money or, or the boss said something a year ago and he wouldn't like this, so we're not going to do it. There are all these things that you, you run into that get very, very frustrating in, in this world <laughs> when you're dealing with business people. And I think Steve was really, really good at being able to see things as a consumer does. And whenever there was a decision to make, um, which would be the best customer experience was always the clincher. Um, if it were uh, something that cost more money or took more time, if it was a better customer experience, he would say, well, obviously that's the thing we have to do. But then, of course, a moment later, he'd look at you and say, now it's your job to find a way to do it faster and cheaper. <laughs> so there was no really winning with him on that one, but he would never compromise on the customer experience. Um, and I think these other leaders I talked to had similar feelings about, you know, when people go to our website or when they open the box or when they, you know, when they interact with customer service uh, or when they see our ads, you know, what are they thinking? And is it good enough? Is the experience so good that they would actually tell their friend that, hey, you should look at this company? Because, again, word of mouth is vastly more powerful than any ad could ever be. Um, you want people out there, you know, getting emotionally attached to your company so, to the point where they might actually mention it to their friends and family. Uh, so these people were pretty good at that. And they also had a disdain for too much process. Um, so they, they sort of stood outside their companies and they said, you know, why, why do we have, you know, why does an idea have to go through four different levels of approvals to, to get from the beginning to the end? Why don't we have like really brilliant people having great ideas and then having one brilliant person approve it, you know, the final decision maker? So things like that. So these, these people, had all kinds of interesting ways of looking at their own company, really with, a, with fresh eyes. And it, it sounds easier than it is because when you're working inside a company or when you're leading a company, you're so aware of all the constraints and cost factors and time and you know the target audience and what they're thinking and this and that. A lot of these guys would sort of, you know, they would consider all those things, but they would go with their gut very often. There's this thing about instinct, which obviously Steve Jobs had. But when you have a whole life of, you know, 20 or 30 years, uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, the experience you have in your field, uh, and you get some bit of research that seems contrary to that, it, it takes a very special kind of person to say, you know what, I, I see what you know, what you're saying to me, but I believe in my heart that this is the right way to go. And so these people had this ability, I thought, to, to really look at their companies, you know, through the emotional lens, you know, through the way customers would look at them um, and make decisions accordingly. They didn't tolerate 
like the busy work and the complex processes that build up in a company over time. And if I can go back to that man from Westpac Bank in Australia, he said a lot of very interesting things. One of the things he said was that when you're sort of, when you become mired in all this complexity, one really fantastic thing to do is to swim upstream and go sort of go back in time and look at the pure first version of that product or service or whatever it was, and you see what the original thinking was and why it was what it was. And then you can sort of judge all the things that have been layered on top of it over time and realize, you know, there might have been a fix at one point, but then someone made a fix to the fix and fix to the fix to the fix, and it gets very, very complicated. When If you go back to that pure version, you get a better appreciation for for why that, that product or service existed in the first place and you know what have you lost over time. So there are all kinds of things you can do. And like I said, I tried to put them all in this book. I'm not trying to sell books here, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're stepping outside the company. They're seeing things through the eyes of the consumer. They're swimming upstream. There's you know, keeping meetings small. The, the, the principle that's so important inside Apple is small groups of smart people. You know, they don't have big, massive, you know, efforts. They, they trust people who are really smart to come up with a good solution. They're more willing to work all the hours it would take to find the solution because they feel responsible. Uh, you know, there are all these principles that, that make a company simpler. Uh, a lot of them are just common sense, but you need, uh, you know, to sort of recalibrate your brain to to prioritize those things and not just think, well, they're so obvious they're going to take care of themselves because they never do. Complexity grows through the cracks. You know, it, it, if, if you're not paying attention to the way your company works, it's going to get more complicated unless you really manage uh, the way simplicity is protected and the way complexity is defended against. I like that. So well said. All right, Ken, it's time for our resource of the week. So tell me this. How can my listeners find out more about you um, and how you're actually helping the world to become better by making it more simple? Well, uh, KenSiegel.com is uh, you know, my, my place to start. Uh, I have a blog uh, I try to keep current. Uh, you can access that through my homepage. Uh, a watchful eye on technology and marketing, I call it. And then, of course, we haven't even touched upon the Scupertino thing, but there's so much focus on Apple that uh, we make up stories. We're like the onion of the Apple world. Apple-centric humor, if you can imagine such a thing. You might think there's a small market for it, but um, we've had like over 5 million viewers <laughs> since wow. we started. Thank um, So... And that's something we don't even make money on. It's pure fun. It, we don't even make, make enough money to pay for our, our server time, <laughs> our server space. So one of the things, by the way, that Steve Jobs loved was when he saw Apple, like when they did a skit on Saturday Night Live that was about an Apple product or something, he thought that was hilarious, and he thought it meant that Apple was actually becoming a part of culture. And he thought that was a really, really cool thing. So 
when we started Scupertino, kind of just having fun with the bad things people say about Apple, you know, they only want your money and they want to run the world and all that kind of stuff that we don't personally believe, but it makes for fun satire. So we make up these stories based on current events and, uh, you know, when Apple has a problem, you know, we, we sort of make fun of it. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of when you respect someone, you want to have fun with them. And, you know, we get our share of Apple haters there, uh, which is interesting because I think they think we're serious. But um, <laughs> it's all part of the fun. You know, you read the comments and people go crazy with half of them think it's true. You know, even though we do our best to say, no, it's fake news, you know, but <laughs> this these days it's harder to tell. <laughs> but yeah, tell me about it. That makes a lot of sense. All right. I, I always love, and actually just for anybody who's not um, streaming this off of the show notes page, um, you can you can find Ken's blog at uh, kensegal.com, which is K-E-N-S-E-G-A-L-L.com. If you are in the show notes, you can simply click through. Um, Ken, I always like to end my podcast with uh, one telling question. So if you could give business owners just one solid piece of advice to either help their business or probably more importantly, help them to live a better life, what would that one piece of advice be? Well, as I said before, there's so many things about simplicity. Uh, it sounds too easy. So when I offer my advice, it sounds too obvious. Uh, but the thing that I think is most important is focus. And I think people talk about it, but I think very few people deliver on it. And I think that means not making too many products, just doing a really, really good job on the ones that you do make and not worrying about trying to satisfy giant segments of the population. Just uh, focus on, on your message in marketing. Don't try to do 10 things at once. Steve Jobs was incredible at that. He, he totally changed the way Apple advertised, the way it invested in advertising. There was one message every quarter and they used to have like 10 of them. So focus, very simple concept, but again, a tough one to pull off unless you really, really put the effort into it. I think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Ken, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. I have like six pages of notes here myself. Um, thank you for joining me today. I know how busy your schedule is, so it means the world to me that you share some of your time and a whole bunch of wisdom with me and our listeners. So again, thank you. Well, again, it was my pleasure. I, I, enjoy uh, talking about this stuff and if it helps anybody then even better i think it does it absolutely does all right folks that's all the time we've got for today thanks so much for tuning into the real deal with jason silverman for more info about private coaching or to see if you'd benefit from one of my mastermind groups visit me over at www.jasonmsilverman.com i look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve until next time, let me leave you with this. Get out there and be the real deal. Set a goal, make a plan, work like hell towards it, and achieve the success that's waiting for you. Now's the time. Get out there and make it happen. Now, this has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.